Before we get going with this week's show, a word from our friends at Santa Anita Park. If we're talking Santa Anita, we are talking the Pick'em Contest. Play for $500 every Saturday, Sunday, and holiday Monday through April 17th. It's a free contest that combines popular sports and racing props for a fun, competitive, and free contest. Sign up for free and play from anywhere at SantaAnita.com slash Pick'em. That is SantaAnita.com slash Pick'em. Now on to episode 102. happening welcome to the matt bernier show part of the in the money media network my name is matt bernier you can follow me on twitter at bernier underscore matt today is monday february the 7th 2022 this is episode 102 of the pod however you listen thank you for doing so you can find it anywhere you listen to your pods for the most part apple podcast spotify soundcloud in the money you can also watch over on youtube search bar matt bernier show you get this episode along with the 101 prior however you listen please rate review subscribe thumbs up thumbs down bell icon lit up so you get notified anytime new content is uploaded if you're over on youtube to the in the money media channel uh, many things going on here this week only going to focus on the derby preps from this past weekend I know I've been going through and doing the Oaks preps. I will get to the Oaks preps that happened this weekend, but just for timing's sake, only going to go over the big three as far as the Kentucky Derby preps are concerned. We're going to go over the Withers, the Holy Bull, and the Robert B. Lewis, and then we'll wrap things up with a look ahead to Super Bowl 56 coming up on Sunday between the Bengals and the Rams. A few programming things before we get into the prep recaps and the assessments of some of the performances that we saw. Uh, I am going to Hilton Head this weekend. So the show will not be recorded next Monday. The next pod will come up next Tuesday. So for those of you that typically listen to the thing late on Monday night, most of you check it out on Tuesday. But basically, if you listen to it early on, uh, it's probably not going to be there right away. Won't be recording until Tuesday when I get home next week. And then the following week, the week of the 20th through the 27th, it's going to be TBD, and I guess even including that next Monday, which would be the 28th, it's going to be a little bit TBD touch and go as far as when I will be recording or when I can record because uh, I just don't know what my situation is going to be from an accommodation standpoint. Uh, on the 20th, I am heading to Riyadh for the Saudi Cup. So uh, I'm going to be joining the world feed out there with Nick Luck and Michelle Yu and Tom Stanley. So I'm looking forward to that. But from a recording standpoint, I'm not sure. And again, there's a giant you know, difference as far as time is concerned. Uh, my hope is to do something maybe on Tuesday, that week that I'm out there. That would end up being the 22nd. Um, it just depends on what I have for work things out there and, and things like that. So we'll try to make some stuff happen that week, but just bear with me when we get to that point. So the, the first things first. Next pod will be next Tuesday, not next Monday. And then that following week will be TBD when things are going to come out simply because I'm going to be over in Saudi Arabia. So there's that. Now, let's get into this past weekend. Okay. And as always, I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, your opinions, whether you agree or disagree. I'm just very interested to see what other people have to say about some of these horses. We're going to go over the race from New York, the race from Florida, and the race from California. I think there are some really intriguing angles for many of the horses that we saw this weekend, both good and bad. But I'm very curious, and everyone else wants to know your opinions as well. 
Because that's, I think, one of the beauties of this time of year. People can agree, disagree. I just need to know reasons why behind some of that stuff. So let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Let's get things rolling. Let's go back to Saturday afternoon, Aqueduct, Ozone Park, New York. The Withers. Chad Brown wins again with early voting. Maybe a bit of a polarizing performance, or maybe not so, because he came up slow on the clock. Let's take a look. All right, first things first, you're going to notice that the second prep, the Holy Bull, I tried to go through and do what I've done in the past, showing the replay from YouTube. Unfortunately, it's just so choppy that I wasn't going to go back and do that, and I know I recorded them. Sometimes I record out of order. So that's why this recap with the Withers and the Bob Lewis will both be done just here without any visuals, but you can find both replays over on YouTube, one on Naira's, the other on Santa Anita's. You can also find the replays anywhere you, you know, your ADWs or any streaming service you may use for replays. The Withers, mile and an eighth, muddy track at Aqueduct, although to be fair, when you watch the race, I don't know how muddy the track actually was. Uh, Early voting wins, does so as the six to five favorite. I immediately am very, very impressed. I liked him going into it. Thought he would be too short to play. In fact, he was. Six to five was far too short for a horse doing everything he was doing for the first time. But I thought he looked really good. And then you see the fig, and he earns a 78 buyer. And it's totally fair for the people, and there are many out there, some more vocal than others, about how, you know, 78 is just flat out slow. And it's not fast. I will say that. It is definitely not fast. It's not as fast as what I'll discuss with White Barrio and the Holy Bull or Messier and the Bob Lewis. But if you're just looking at the fig as being the fig, personally, I think you're doing yourself a disservice And it's kind of lazy. Yes, 78 buyer does not look sexy at all. And is not going to be fast enough to compete with some of the best from this crop. If you just purely look at it from the fact that it was a 78. Part of the reason I'm I'm more inclined as time goes by to use Timeform US. And granted, I prefer to use my own eye and I can... I could do it without Timeform US, but it illustrates and paints the picture in a way that I think folks who who are very black and white can start to understand why the performance, in my opinion, and in some others' opinions, is considerably better than a 78 would suggest. First things first, let's talk about the way the, the race was run. Early voting is making his second lifetime start, going from a one-turn mile to a two-turn mile and an eighth, taking on winners for the first time. And say what you will about the field. Maybe it was not a very good field. I'm willing to, you know, fully buy in on that. But graded stakes runners. Early voting breaks like a shot, goes right to the lead. For me, when you see a horse respond to cues given by his rider or her rider, it, especially this early in their career, it can be a precursor of things to come, bigger and better. And maybe it doesn't mean that the next start, all of a sudden, they're going to become a superstar. But in general, I think going down the road, it's a sign of a horse that 
is has every opportunity anyway to fulfill expectations as opposed to those that are out there being dummies, goofy with the lead changes, looking around, flashing their tail, this, that, and the other. Early voting, listens, breaks like a shot. Jose uses the horse early. You see him pin his ears back, immediately clears to the front, and the minute Jose Ortiz grabs, he relaxes. Ears go straight up, listening to cues like a, like a seasoned vet. Keep in mind, it's a second lifetime start. Now is when context goes a long way. The fractions, mile and an eighth at Aqueduct in February. We know Aqueduct is not a track that typically yields fast times in general. So when you see 23 and 2, 48, 14 and 1, final time 55 and 4, you go, well, yeah, 55 and 4. I mean, you could time it with a sundial. Fair. And that's what a buyer is. It's reflective of the final time. But when you see an opening quarter of 23 and 2, a half of 48 flat, three quarters and 14 and 1, Timeform US goes through and basically assesses whether a pace is fast or slow or average. Not only did Timeform US have every fraction of the race fast, there's also uh, a piece to the Timeform US charts that shows the race fractions compared to the adjusted fractions, factoring in the track and all that sort of stuff. The 23 and 2 opening quarter, an adjusted number, according to Timeform US, is 22 and 2. Now, just that part alone, before we go any farther, how many older grade one types going a mile and an eighth have the ability to go with an adjusted number? I, I know it's not the what the clock said, but again, context, can go 22 and 2 and still have plenty left in the tank down the stretch. Not many. Food for thought. Half mile is 48 flat. The adjusted time, according to Timeform US, is 45.58. So nearly 45 and three. For any, for a grade one older horse in a race like the Whitney or the Breeders' Cup Classic or any of those kind of races, that would be a very, very fast pace. We're talking about a three-year-old making his second lifetime start, his first start against winners, stretching out to two turns. So he's out there doing this. Three quarters time. The normal time or the raw time on the clock, 14 and 1. Adjusted 10 and 4. I mean, that is that is extremely fast for this time of year for such an inexperienced horse. The final time, 55 and 4. Adjusted 50 and 2. Buyer associates have this race as a 78 based on the 55 and 4 final time. And I'm sure whatever, it's in relation to par and all that other jazz. Timeform US has the final pace unadjusted, or just let's say the, the, the final time as a 102. Okay, so again, we're going to talk about a 20 point differential. We're going to talk about that in the race for the Holy Bull because that's another one where the fig is interesting. That would roughly equate to an 82 buyer. So not that far off, but Timeform US has the race slightly faster than the buyer team does. But then when you factor in the fractions and how fast the horse ran, the pace adjusted number for Timeform US goes to a 109, which if you're taking 20 off of that, gets you to an 89, which if the number came back, if the buyer came back in 89, no one is discussing 
is kind of poo-pooing the idea of, you know, the performance, which is fine. If you don't care about any of the dynamics, I think you're doing it wrong. That's just my opinion. You do you. Do what you got to do. For this horse, and then when you take also into consideration where the rest of the field finished that was in relation or in relatively close attendance to early voting, for perspective, half mile into the race, early voting is two lengths clear on the lead. The horse that was second at that point finishes seventh, third finishes last of 11, fourth finishes fourth, be in... Let's call it uh, six and a half lengths. Fifth, second to last, sixth, eighth, seventh, ninth. I mean, anyone remotely close. And even those, some of those horses, the seventh place finisher wasn't even that close. Anybody within shouting distance of early voting is, is up the track. They're still running. So, yes, the buyer and the final time, not the prettiest. It's also something else to factor in. Inside at Aqueduct did not seem to be advantageous on Saturday. Early voting was toward the inside. And I think that was just a matter of him still kind of learning, being a little bit green. It's amazing when you see people who want a completed project in start number two. And Chad Brown has come out and said he doesn't know what the plan is now going forward because this race came back as slow as it did. Do you go to the one-turn Gotham? Do you wait for the wood? Uh, personally, I would continue to run the horse. I don't have any connection to the horse, so they don't care what I think. But point point is, I think there's still a lot here. I think he's better than what the buyer number was going to suggest. I don't know what any of the other figs are, but from a Timeform US standpoint, I think that paints a pretty good picture. I think the horse still needs seasoning. He still needs to run. It's always a gamble. I never like the idea of an early season prep. We'll wait for the final round, and if it doesn't go our way, well, that's it. Bupkis, we got nothing. If you want to go that route, and then you say we're going to just hang around and wait for the preakness, so be it. That's that's entirely, you know, that's a reasonable path. I'm more inclined to say you've got a, I think, a talented horse. Still think he needs to learn a little bit. Wouldn't hurt to take on some other horses, try a few different things. Build up stamina and, and just, I, I in general, I just think he would benefit from racing. So whether it is the one-turn mile, slight turn back in distance, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Uh, I also wouldn't be opposed to looking for other spots. Um, I, I don't know, timing-wise, as I'm looking something up on the fly, as far as different races are concerned, if you want to keep him going a route of ground, hmm, that race is too late. I was looking at the Tessio. That's not going to be until... That, that, that's still some ways away. If you want to still maintain sort of the, the two-turn run, though, you've got a three-year-old stake at Laurel. March 19th, that's a little bit late, though, if you're looking at the final round of, of Derby preps. Point is, I think you've got options with this horse. And if you want to keep him going two turns, you can find other spots. I don't know if I would wait for the wood, uh, maybe you send him to the fairgrounds. Maybe you send him to Oaklawn. Chad doesn't typically go to Oaklawn, but, you know, point is you, you can do different things with him. Or you can just keep him at home and turn him back to a one-turn mile. I think the horse has ability. The 78 buyer does not bother me. If you're someone and if you're new to this show and you've never heard me before, you know that, yes, I'm a firm believer in figs. 
But context is much more important than just the raw number. I'll go back to a horse that I've had success with. She dares the devil. If you were just purely a fig player, no, you had no chance of smoking her out in the oaks. If you put things into context and you take a look at the visuals and things like that, you had a puncher's chance to catch her at 15 or 20 to 1. I, but I know it's not for everyone. Some people just say the letter of the law, the number's the number, and that's that. And that's fine. I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. I'm laying out why I don't agree with that. But I'm not sitting here saying you're, you're, you have to think of it this way. That's up to you. You do you. I think this is a pretty good horse. Now, from a prep standpoint, he's the only one in the race that I want. Gilded Age got a little bit tired at the end. I thought he ran fine, but in the grand scheme of things, with the pace situation and the way everything played out, I thought he should have finished better than he did. Um, I made it clear going into the race that I didn't love anybody coming out of the Jerome. They kind of ran that way. Of course, many of them were in relatively close attendance to the pace. In general, I like early voting. I'll give this race as far as a prep rating is concerned, I'll give it a seven. I believe in early voting. He's the only one that I'm interested in coming out of this race. But I'm, I'm open to the idea that he may not be that fast. I don't believe that to be the case, but I can understand the reasoning behind it. Let me know what you think of early voting. Where should he go next? Should they go to the one-turn Gotham? A little bit of an unconventional path. Do you go one turn to two turn mile and an eighth, back to one turn, back to two turn mile and an eighth? Do you put him away until the beginning of April and wait for the Wood Memorial? Do you ship him out of town? Do you look at the fairgrounds? Do you look at Gulfstream Park? Do you look at uh, just different areas, different avenues? I, too often, and I'm not saying this is the case with Chad, but I think too often the paths, you're taking Florida. You're taking the, the Gulfstream route. You're taking the Tampa route. You're taking the New York route. You're taking the... Well, why, why can't you mix and match? If the timing lines up, you know, what's wrong with saying from here? Uh, let's see. And I know many people, again, love hearing someone look something up in a podcast. What's wrong with the Louisiana Derby? March 26th. Yes, it's close to the Wood Memorial. And at that point, you say, well, we can give them two more weeks. And maybe that's that. I don't know. I'm looking at that race saying we can ship out of town. It's a mile and three sixteenths. If he runs second, we've got our points for the Derby. If that doesn't work, we can either try to rush him into it and try to get one more round, whether it's the Lexington to catch those couple points that we need to get in. If you're really hell bent on making the Derby or at that point, you say, let's wait for the Preakness. I think there are just different ways to go about it. Um, I, again, I don't own the horse. It's easy for me to sit here and just riff about it when I don't have any control over any of these things and I'm not paying the bills. But I think this is a decent horse. I know the fig did not come back fast from a buyer standpoint. Context goes a long way. The horse ran extremely fast throughout, arguably on the worst part of the racetrack. And just anybody who was within you know, shouting distance completely was evaporated. So I'm curious what everybody else thinks. Let me know your thoughts about this horse, early voting. He wins the Withers with the 78 buyer. Timeform US is much kinder. Pace adjusted a 109. Let me know what your thoughts are about this horse, where he should go next, and overall where he fits as far as the three-year-olds are concerned. Now, let's go down to South Florida, Gulfstream Park. A little bit of an upset. Pretty big, pretty, 
pretty big performance from the winner. White Abario, another instance where the figs not really jiving from those two. Holy Bowl, Gulfstream Park, a mile and a 16th. This is probably the prep that I'm having the most difficult time deciding what I think of it. Uh, coming into it, Mo Donegal was the horse to beat. Coming out of it, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe that is White Abario who ultimately went on to win this race. You can find this replay if you want to watch it again and again over on Gulfstream Park's YouTube channel. We're going to let the tape run. You're going to notice the big first thing that is noticeable is the fact that Simplification misses the break entirely. He breaks at the back of the field. He figured to be among the leaders where Galt down on the inside and the Red Silks is and where White Abario, the big gray, pressing is. Instead, he has to come from well out of it, which is something new for this horse. And for him to run the way that he did, there's encouraging aspects in that he's willing to pass horses. There are some things that I didn't love. We'll get into that in a little bit. On the front, Galt goes. White Abario presses throughout. The fractions are, I think, honest. I don't think they're fast. I don't think they're slow. I think they're just honest, period. 47 and a piece for the half. You've got Giant Game in the West Point Silks, who's in a pretty good position right now. He's going to drop anchor badly, and we'll dive more into that when we start talking about some figs at the end of the race. And you see Mo Donegal in fifth right now. Irad gives him a little tap on the shoulder trying to get him involved. I'd mentioned with PTF on the late show, the players pod, that I just, for whatever reason, he didn't strike me as a Gulfstream horse. I don't know if I'm right or wrong in that feeling. Uh, my feeling hasn't changed. But with the way that he runs here, I, I'm not totally sure that I love him at a track like this. But again, Todd Pletcher knows a hell of a lot more than I do. Simplification's making that big move. He's in the gray silks from the outside. This is a sustained bid, so it's understandable that he gets a little bit tired at the end. He never changes leads. That bothers me a, a great deal. But again, another thing that we'll dive into when we talk about the figs. Meanwhile, on the front end, White Abario is now on the lead. Tyler cuts him loose, and he finishes really, really well. This is a horse that his three starts as a two-year-old, they weren't slow, but they weren't fast. He lived in the 80s, 80, 81. Basically, that was it. You're very quickly going to see Mo Donegal on the outside here just come rolling home late. I, again, I'm having a very difficult time deciding what I think of this race as a whole. Let's talk about the figs. White Abario wins. He earns a 97 buyer speed figure. Initially, when I first saw that, I said, well, you know, the visuals kind of check out, but very difficult to really, I don't want to say make a fig for this because they're, you know, I mean, there's enough as far as past samples and, and pars and things like that, but it was the only mile in a 16th main track race run at Gulfstream on Saturday. White Abario improves his career best fig by 16 points. Now, Considering this is his first start since the end of November, that is definitely not out of the realm of possibility. But then when you take a look at the rest of the field, I think there's some, some question marks. Simplification and Mo Donegal effectively pair up their most recent runs. If anything, it's a positive, I think, for simplification because he had to do something different this time around. Broke slowly, going two turns for the first time, taking on what I would say pretty decent horses for the first time. And for him to rally wide, no, he never changed leads. That does bother me. And I'm still not totally convinced that I think he is, you know, of the, I don't want to say upper echelon, but uh, a Kentucky Derby type. There were some positives to pull from it. I start to get a little bit leery when I see the Mo Donegal number that he's paired up his 90s because that to me visually here in this holy bowl did not look like 
I don't, it, it gets so difficult to say it didn't look like a 90 because that doesn't really make a great deal of sense, but it didn't look particularly fast. It looked like a horse to me that was running in spots that may not have loved the racetrack that wanted a lot more ground than the mile and a 16th that he got. And to suggest that he ran something comparable or equaled basically his best race from last year, which was at a mile and an eighth over a much deeper racetrack in New York. Again, not impossible. First start since the beginning of December could just be that natural progression from two to three, but I'm a little dubious. Then you get into Galt. Galt and Spinwheel are the two that when I saw the figs, I said, mm, I don't know if I'm totally buying that. Galt is a well-beaten fourth in this race. He finishes, let's call it, what, almost six lengths behind the winner. Not only does he earn a career best fig, he improves his buyer 22 points from a 67 to an 89. Yes, he was on the lead. That'll more often than not lend itself to a horse running, you know, an, an optimal fig. But boy, that's a pretty, pretty substantial jump. And then you look at Spinwheel, who is still, you know, basically still running. Granted, first start since the end of November, he had a career best fig of 65 coming into this race. He earns an 80. The bottom three horses in this race, I don't think you can use. Tis the Bomb is a turf horse. They took a shot in the dirt. Good on him. Didn't work. I, that, that fig doesn't mean anything to me. Giant Game, the reason I said we're going to get back to him, he dropped anchor. Basically, like he just stopped running on the far turn. And I said, well, what the hell happened here? I had bet him. I liked him. I thought the price was right. Come to find out, he displaced. I am not a vet, uh, but as far as I know, makes it very difficult to breathe when they displace. Uh, if you'll recall, a number of years ago, something very similar happened in either this race or the Fountain of Youth with Frosted. He displaced. He had a little surgical procedure. He comes back. He wins the Wood Memorial. I'm not giving up on Giant Game just yet. If anything, maybe you're going to get a little dirtied up form. Maybe you get a bumped up price. But and some people didn't like him coming into this spot. That's fine. I'm not going to try to convince otherwise. But this isn't a, a fair race to judge him off of. Cajun's Magic, kind of interesting because he's a Florida bred. He ran that 89 when he finished second in one of those stallion races down there uh, back in, in late September as a two-year-old. So it was a giant fig then. He more or less runs back to that with an 85. But again, the, the two that stick out to me are Galt, and spin wheel improving so dramatically. Mo Donegal equaling his 90 when uh, visually, eh. I mean, if, if he's earning 90s and he's not loving the track or he doesn't look all that comfortable, I mean, is he a 105 kind of horse? Maybe, I don't know. But White Abario looked fantastic, which made it really difficult for me because when I watched his races as a two-year-old, I said, hey, he's fine. I didn't think he was going to jump up nearly 20 points. Then I look at Time Form US. And keep in mind, there's usually about a 20-point differential between Timeform US and the buyers. And when those two don't jive, if they're not relatively close to that 20-point number, that's when you can start to say, okay, wait a minute, something's going on here. Keep in mind, 97 buyer for White Abario. Timeform US gave him, not including the pace, a 108. 20 points off of a 108, 
going to get you to an 88. 88 is much, much different than 97. And that's not even adding in the pace situation, which Timeform US actually, all things considered, thought it was a relatively soft or advantageous pace situation. So he has dropped down to a 106, which would be more in line with an 86 buyer speed figure. So that is one element that's interesting. Simplification, 102, take off 20, gets you to an 82. I can kind of see that. Modonigal, the 90 that he earned in the Remsen, he earns a 90 here from a buyer standpoint. Timeform US had him with a 102 in this spot, which would be an 82 buyer, which again, just he didn't look like he'd love the racetrack. I'm more inclined to buy a horse not loving a track at an 82 than a 90. This is all subjective. But this is how I'm looking at the race, trying to make heads or tails of it. Galt, a 100 Timeform US rating, would equate to roughly an 80 buyer. He actually earned an 89. You have to ask yourself, going from a 67 maiden score day after Christmas to an 89 in a race where he's well beaten fourth, is that the more likely scenario? Or... Is a 67 buyer breaking his maiden day after Christmas, moving to what Timeform US would effectively call an 80 buyer speed figure, an improvement of 13 points. That to me seems much more reasonable than an 89. But again, when you've only got one dirt route at the distance and you've got some horses who perform well and others that don't, I'm, I'm sure this is not as simple cut and dry kind of fig as many of us would hope it would be. I'm inclined to think that the buyer is a little bit on the high side, maybe even as many as 10 points high. You take, let's say eight to 10, Let, let's go with eight. I'll even go on the lighter side. You take eight off of that, you still have an 89 for White Barrio. It's still a career best. It's still an improved number. And to me, that's totally reasonable. You take eight off of simplification, his 91 all of a sudden becomes an 83, given the slow break, rallying wide, never changing leads, flattening out late. The 83 to me seems a little bit more likely than a 90. Take eight off of Mo Donegal's 90 that gets into an 82. That's basically the run from two starts back. Again, for a horse that I didn't think particularly looked comfortable at any point in the run until the very end of it. I'm a little bit more intrigued by that. Again, eight off of Galt's 89 that gets you to an 81. That seems much more reasonable than an 89 to me. You as the handicapper need to be the one to go through and make your determinations. My opinion is right now, I'm looking at this race and thinking a little bit quick, I think on the buyer scale, but acknowledging that I could be wrong and that this actually may be the accurate number and time form US may be too slow. But that's my hypothesis on February the 7th. As far as the individual horses are concerned, White Abario, it sounds like they're going to wait for the Florida Derby. Um, I'm never a fan of that idea of just putting all your eggs into one basket because if he doesn't run in the top two in that race, he's not getting into the Derby or he's going to be bubble boy if he runs third and then he has, what, 30, 35 points. That's going to be really close. Um, he looked really good. I, I don't have any knock against the way that he performed. I'm just unsure what I didn't love him coming into it. And that's part of the problem for me personally, but if the 97 buyer is legit, then yeah, I mean, 
hell, he's one of the faster three-year-olds in the crop. If it's closer to an 89 or a 90, then he's, he's fast. Uh, but he definitely needs to continue to improve. Simplification, I think I've made it clear. I'm still not totally sold on him as a triple crown kind of threat. Uh, but this was encouraging. He had to deal with some things for the first time. And I thought, all things considered, he overcame some adversity. Mo Donegal, I'm still high on the horse. I think he's a proper mile and a quarter type. Um, I think he wants more ground personally, and I don't think they would ever do it, but I shouldn't say that. I would, I would either be looking at a race like, it's going to be too quick for the Risen Star. I'd be looking at the Louisiana Derby or the Wood Memorial, something, one of those two races. The Wood, because he's proven himself at Aqueduct, going a mile and an eighth. The Louisiana Derby, because it's a mile and three sixteenths with the longest stretch or one of the longest stretches that you're ever going to find. I, to me, he's the kind of horse that you got to, and again, keeping in mind, Todd is, Todd is Todd. Todd knows what's going on. He's a Hall of Famer for a reason. He's one of the greatest of all time for a reason. When I watch the horse, my opinion, I, I want to give him every opportunity to use that stride, to find that top gear. He's not a horse that's going to, he's not a Ferrari. F-150 would be unkind, but he's the kind, he's like a stock car. He's not a Formula One car. He's a stock car where you really got to run through the gears as opposed to, although maybe this new car that, that NASCAR has is a little bit different, but as opposed to a Ferrari, excuse me, as opposed to a, to a Formula One car where it's genuinely bing, 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 you know, right through the gears. I feel like a race at fairgrounds at a mile and three sixteenths where at the top of the lane, he can still be two or three lengths back, but he's going to, he's going to win that, that run down the lane compared to Gulfstream where you get a short stretch. He may or may not be a great horse rounding the turns. If you remember when PTF and I were doing a happy hour, I mentioned rounding the far turn at Belmont park. He looked like he was just kind of spinning his wheels, but I, I just, for lack of a better way of putting it, when you watch though, when you watch enough races, you see how certain horses kind of shape and move. He always has felt like a horse that does his best on the straights. Now, maybe that'll eventually be his downfall because I do believe the, the hallmark of, you know, potentially exceptional talent is that you can scoot around the bends. Uh, for him, I think his best asset is his stamina and long stride. And I feel like a race like the Louisiana Derby would be ideal for Mo Donegal. The rest of the field, I don't have a lot to say. Tis the bomb, get back to the grass. Uh, I don't blame him for taking a shot here, but put him back on turf. And giant game, if you're writing him off because of this race, uh, you're doing it wrong because something happened physically. If you don't believe in the horse, that's fine. But don't use this race as the example because uh, when he displaces his palate, um, you know, he can't breathe. And... I don't know about you, but when, when I can't breathe, it becomes very difficult to do anything strenuous, never mind uh, try to race eight and a half furlongs. So White Abario wins the Holy Bull, 97 buyer, 108 timeform U.S. rating that is not pace adjusted. The pace adjusted number is even lower, 106. So some discrepancies there. Uh, let me know what your thoughts are about the figs, about visuals, things like that from this Kentucky Derby prep race at Gulfstream. Now let's go to the fastest derby prep of the season so far on Sunday, the Bob Lewis from Santa Anita Park.
I realize I didn't give a prep rating for the Holy Bull. I'm going to call it a seven because there's a real chance that it was a breakout performance for White Abario and all the other things that I laid out. You know, maybe my feelings on certain things are incorrect, uh, but I also don't want to go all in on certain numbers that I don't know that I fully buy into. Therefore, I'm only going to give it a seven. The race on Sunday, the Bob Lewis, probably the first real wow performance of the prep season, I would say, at least for the three-year-olds. Messier wins for Baffert, earns a 127 time form U.S. rating and a 103 buyer speed figure. He wins final margin is 15 lengths beneath John Velasquez. I said it on the late show, uh, the late week show for the Players Pod, that I just didn't think Messier was very good. Um, and it's, please keep in mind too, and I, when I tweeted it uh, after the race on Sunday, it's all relatively speaking. I mean, obviously the horse is talented and he, he can run fast, but in relation to his contemporaries and meaning derby prospects, I just didn't think he was really all that good. He had run three consecutive low to mid 80 buyers. Uh, Baffert had continued to go back and forth with the equipment you know, blinkers off, blinkers back on, blinkers off again in this spot. So to me, it felt like he was trying to figure this horse out because maybe he did think there was more there. And, you know, again, say what you will. I'm not getting into all the, you know, the, the weeds there. But Baffert knows what he's doing with, with horses. So clearly him tinkering with equipment, trying to figure out, okay, how do we unlock the full potential of this horse? So the blinkers come off. He goes right to the front and destroys the field. Again, 103 buyer, 127 time form U.S. rating. I'm looking at it going, hey, man, I, I was wrong. I've been wrong a million times before. I'll be wrong a million times again. And I still was wrong, but the only thing that I'm going to throw out there for caution with this race, because visually he looked great, professional, drew off. I mean, he looked like a good thing. You go through and look at all the charts and you watch the replays. Santa Anita on Sunday, I've said it before, I'll say it again, from a running style standpoint, the track profile, two turns on dirt, you need to be on or near the early lead to truly have a chance to win. Sunday was even a greater exception because you couldn't do anything unless you were on the lead. All of the dirt races on Sat on Sunday, I'm going to go back starting with race two, six furlong maiden claimers. Not a good group, but not a bad group. I mean, maiden claimers, $100,000. The winner, gate to wire. The second place finisher, second from start to finish. Race number three is the Las Virginis. It's a race that I will talk about next week with the Dare Manor. The opening quarter, she's a half length off of it. From there, she takes over. She goes off and wins by 13. Effectively, gate to wire. The horse that was second ends up positioning herself about a length off of the runner-up. So, no, she wasn't second throughout. But basically, at the three-quarter mark, she picks it up. She goes into second, and she stays there. Race number four, maiden claimers, seven furlongs. These are $20,000 maiden claimers. The winner, gate to wire. The runner-up, third throughout. The third-place finisher, fourth throughout. You needed to be on or you need to be on the lead to have any chance to win. Race number six, maiden specials going six. The winner is a head off, quarter, half, takes over at the top of the lane, and holds on. You did have 
one horse and Heaven's Music make up a little bit of ground, but even half mile into the race was only two lengths off of it, three lengths off of it. Race number eight is this race. Messier right to the front. Nobody catches him. Sir London, I thought this is a really, if I'm being frank, a terrible performance. Unless something happened that I don't know about, it was a terrible performance given the racetrack. He was right there pressing Messier, and he just couldn't go on with it. He packed it in. Cabo Spirit, who was third, effectively inherits second, and finishes second. Seven lengths clear of Wharton. And race number nine, the finale, starter allowance, six and a half furlongs. The winner, first throughout. The runner-up, second throughout. The third place finisher, fourth, and then picked up third late. You needed to be on the lead. It was a conveyor belt. So why am I saying this? Typically, when you have major biases, you're going to see exaggerated margins of victory and exaggerated figs. Now, that doesn't mean that Messier, without a very advantageous racetrack, was going to run an 85 on Sunday. He, was, he ran fast. You can't argue that. Did he run 15? Was he 15 lengths better than the rest of the field? And by the way, the runner-up was seven lengths clear of third. Third was four and a half clear of fourth. So, I mean, you're talking about a five-horse field that was spread out over the course of a half mile. I, I don't believe... I think you need to take all of those results with a grain. I think they were all very good. Messier was good. Adair Manor was good. To be expected. Are they that good? I am not ready to buy into that just yet. Especially knowing that off of these performances, they're going to be odds on wherever they show up next. He's better than I gave him credit for, but I don't think he's as good as what we saw on Sunday. I think he had everything go his way, and that's when you're going to see horses run their best. 103 buyer, 127 time form US rating. I'm not arguing the figs, but again, context goes a long way. When everything breaks your way and you're able to get out there and set a moderate tempo on a racetrack like that, yeah, man, it's going to be showtime. It's going to be time to hit the jets down the lane. He's a good horse, better than I gave him credit for. And I reiterate that. I don't know that all of a sudden I think he's the best of the bunch. Uh, I'm going to give this an eight as far as a prep rating is concerned. Because Messier, look, even again, if you wanted to take a few points off, he's still probably a mid to high 90. That was a big effort. I still think there's some decent talent in here. Cabo Spirit, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that I think all of a sudden he's going to be a, a derby contender. I still believe in Wharton, especially given the fact that he had no chance with the way this track played, trying to rally from off of it. Sir London, I don't know what you want to do with that. That was a really, really bad performance. And, you know, maybe at this point you take a look. The three times he has not procured the lead early, he's lost. The only time that he was on the lead, he won. You know, maybe we're getting into that territory. And Happy Jack, again, very similar to the idea with Wharton. I don't, I don't think you can use this race, really, as a barometer. Are they as good as Messier? Maybe not, and probably not. But they had no chance trying to rally from fourth and fifth with the way that track played. Let me know what you believe about Messier, Santa Anita, any of the three-year-olds that came up on this show or going forward. What you think? Next week is uh, taking a look at some of the races that are going to be going on. You're going to have uh, the Tampa Bay Derby. No, I'm a month too late. Sorry. 
or a month early, I should say, Sam F. Davis in the El Camino Real Derby. Couple of solid enough races, the Sam F. Davis, that's going to be the path through Tampa. And the El Camino Real, say what you will, I know it's it's a synthetic surface, but you're going to get a horse that will learn 10 points. And then maybe that makes them and the connections think, okay, well, are we going to go to the Jeff Ruby? Are we going to go to, you know, one of the other races on dirt? Who knows? Uh, but fact is, Messier ran fast. And he's better than I gave him credit for being. I don't think he's that good, though. I don't, I don't think he's a, a 103 at the beginning of February good. Could be wrong. Again, been wrong before. Be wrong again. You give the prep rate. <laughs> Marble mouth. Prep rating an eight. He's good. I still, I, I want to see more and against better competition. I can't even speak right now. I want to see more against better competition. Put it that way. Uh, Messier gets the job done in the Bob Lewis. Again, he's not awarded any points because he's in Baffert's barn at the moment. Uh, but this is definitely a horse that I can see some folks saying he is the he's the horse to beat as far as the three-year-olds are concerned. I'm not convinced yet that that's the case, but he is certainly among the leaders uh, based on this race in the Lewis. Let me know your thoughts about any of these races and any other races or horses beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now let's pivot and wrap things up this week with a look ahead, some projections for the big game coming up on Sunday. Let's wrap up this week's show with a look ahead, some projections for Super Bowl 56 coming up on Sunday afternoon. If you're on the East Coast, it'll be at 6.30. If you're on the West Coast, it'll be at 3.30. It is the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams, in case you've been living under a rock and you didn't know that. Uh, The spread right now is Rams favored by 4.5. The total is 48.5 at most books. Uh, I was way off when I first, right after the Rams and 49ers game concluded, I said, what do you think the spread's going to be, 6.5? You know, and, and people ran wild with that, which is fine. And maybe I realistically looked at it more of what I think the game should be as opposed to making sure there's the same amount of money on either side. The number has moved from four to four and a half. It feels pretty firm at four and a half. I don't know if it'll move to five or go back to four, but uh, as things are currently constituted, we have no real major injuries to deal with, um, at least over the past week or so. I'm going to go through, offer up a projection of the game and player projections, and we've seen over the course of the postseason, the player projections have been very, very good, uh, with the exception of a couple of duds, but that's going to happen with any kind of a model. So, here we go. Cincinnati Bengals, Los Angeles Rams. I have the Rams defeating the Bengals 27-22, to which would be just covering the 4.5. Uh, as far as the total is concerned, it would be at 49, which would be just getting over the 48.5. Um I have one sim that has the Rams winning 23 to 19. I have another that has them winning 32 to 24. So do with that what you will. Many more points scored in one version. Uh, the Rams winning by a considerably larger number in one version. I have two other sims that I'm not going to get into, but effectively when it all comes together, Rams 27, Bengals 22. Rams winning Super Bowl 56. Now, from a projection standpoint, and there are a lot of props out there that you can play around with, depending on what books you're using or any of that kind of stuff. Joe Burrow, 25 for 35, 324, one touchdown, one interception. Matt Stafford, 26 for 37, 306, two touchdowns and a pick. Joe Mixon, 18 for 64, and one touchdown. 
Sony Michelle, 11 for 45. Jamar Chase, eight targets, five catches, 107 yards, one touchdown. T. Higgins, nine targets, six catches, 98 yards. Beyond that, you've got a, a bit of a mixed bag. I've got Mixon, three for 25. Um, really, the big ones are Chase and Higgins. Chase, five for 107 and a touchdown. Higgins, six for 98. On the Rams side of things, Cooper Cup, 11 targets, nine catches, 136 yards and a touchdown. Van Jefferson, three catches for 56. Higby, I believe he's playing. Could be wrong. Uh, if he does, four for 44. That's about it. Um, the kickers, I don't have anybody missing anything. There are some fun props out there with those sort of things. Uh, but those are the, the big numbers, the big projections anyway. Burrow, 25 for 35, 324, a touchdown and a pick. Stafford, 26 for 37, 306, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, rushing, nothing substantial other than Mixon with touchdown, 18 for 64. Sony Michelle, 11 for 45. And again, the big receivers to keep an eye on. Uh, Chase, 5 for 107 and a touchdown. Higgins, 6 for 98. And Cooper Cup, 9 for 136 and a touchdown. The Rams winning the Super Bowl, 27 to 22. Going over 48 and a half and covering four and a half, but barely on both sides. Uh, let me know what your projections are, or your prediction for Super Bowl 56 are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. As I said about all the programming over the next few weeks, you can go back to the top of the show and listen to that. Uh, thank you for listening. However you're doing so, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and the money podcast.com or over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernie, your show. You get this episode along with 101 prior uh, until next week which will be next Tuesday. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, wherever you play. Enjoy the Super Bowl. This has been episode 102 of the Matt Bernier Show. <laughs>